episode three of Unshushed, a podcast for librarians, teachers, and lovers of young adult literature. I am Erin, and I am the librarian at League City Intermediate School. Hi, I'm Mindy Hutt, and I'm so excited to talk about my book today, and I'm at Clearbrook High School. Hey, I'm Shirley, and I'm the librarian at Clear Lake High School, and I have a guest with me today, a, a library intern. Her name is Lauren Schinker. You may or may not hear from her, depending on if she wants to talk later. Hi, I'm Darcy Burrows, and I'm the librarian at Space Center Intermediate. Hi, I'm Laura Gladney-Lemon, and I'm the librarian at Clear Creek High School. I'm so excited about so many books. I still haven't decided which one I'm going to talk about, so it's going to be a surprise. All right, well, this is Erin Logan, and I'll start us off today. I also, I've been reading a lot ever since I decided to quit listening to music at the gym and listen to books. I have been devouring at least another book a week, and it's been kind of challenging for me to decide which book I wanted to talk about, but... I narrowed it down. Today, I'm going to talk about the book called Words on Bathroom Walls by Julia Walton. One of the reasons that I wanted to talk about it is because I really did love it. It is definitely a high school book. I don't have it on my middle school shelf, but I thought I would discuss it because it's an audiobook that I actually listened to, and I'm kind of new to the audiobook realm. And this book is being turned into a movie. It has been cast. I believe that it is being filmed. There is no set date on when it will come out, but I always like to promote a book before it gets turned into a movie. So Words on Bathroom Walls follows a main character named Adam, and Adam is a recently diagnosed paranoid schizophrenic, and he is participating in an experimental drug trial to help him stop having his delusions. Adam sees and hears people that don't exist. Adam knows that they don't exist. And there is a wide variety of characters that communicate with Adam that aren't in the real world. The issue with this is that Adam is seeing a therapist to talk about his progress in the study. He hates talking to the therapist, so he writes. He will not talk to the therapist in their meetings. He basically just hands over his journal and their meeting time is his therapist reading what he has written down in his journal. But because it's an experimental drug, he's also seeing a medical doctor and they realize that even though this new drug is working well with his mind, his body is not responding well to it. So because it's affecting his organs negatively, they are having to wean him off of it, even though it's had a lot of success with his mind his body can't handle it. And so he's basically backpedaling into where he started. I loved it. I just loved it so much. He starts trying to develop a relationship with a girl named Maya and he doesn't want her to know his secrets. And that's why he's really upset that this drug isn't working for him because he's finally found something that he feels like helps him, I guess, suppress the voices in his head and distinguish when they're real and when they're not and he's afraid of going back to his old life. Did it remind you of anything else you've ever read? Because it sounds pretty original to me. Maybe a little goodwill hunting in there. I Maybe that's one of the reasons that I appreciated it because you know sometimes when you read as much as some of us do, then sometimes you feel like you've read the same book with eight different covers and eight different titles. I think bringing schizophrenia into the young adult realm is kind of a new thing. You know, I've read books with characters with obsessive compulsive disorder and depression and bipolar, but this I believe is the first teenage 
schizophrenia book that I have read. So I, I think maybe it's refreshing to see a new mental disorder getting worked in. I think it's also pretty relevant because, you know, onset of schizophrenia often happens during the teenage years. And it's a really well-hidden disease that families and the students don't often admit that it's going on in their lives. And they're still trying to figure it out. I One of my nephews has, has struggled with this for now years and years, but it took it took the family three or four years to really nail it down and figure out what was going on because schizophrenia doesn't always show itself very obviously in the lives of people. So I think it's great that they're introducing it during teenage years when there may be victims who read that book. And so there are lots of teenagers out there who may be struggling with symptoms and not really recognize what's going on with them. And this book can really help them to identify that, I think. And um, I can tell you from personal experience, because I have a family member who has struggled for years now with schizophrenia, that it took us as a family three or four years to really figure out exactly what was going on with him. So I think it's important and relevant, especially great that they're doing this with teenage literature now. Yeah, I also have a family member that struggled with schizophrenia before she passed on. And what I really appreciate about what you said about the book was the struggle with getting the medicine right for my family member that has left us, but we were never successful at and I say we as like a team of people who cared about this person, you know, obviously the doctors were prescribing the medicine, but I, I don't think it was ever successful medicine for her. And another problem with medicine is that like a lot of times, and this was probably my, my person's biggest hang up is with schizophrenia. Once they start feeling good, they're like, oh, I don't need the medicine anymore. So I also really liked the perspective that you were saying how he really did want to stay on the medicine. Like he wanted to be well. And it was really frustrating. That was kind of the converse situation of what I dealt with with my family member. But I think those are really interesting and important insights that, you know, our students can learn from. I wanted to comment on how, how many people struggle with getting their medicine right. And then also how when they find something that's really good for one thing can be damaging to something else. And imagine the heartache whenever you find something that's helping your brain, which right is something that we're so completely aware of. How my brain's operating, you know, am I thinking clearly? And so I feel like I'm myself. And then to have to lose that because other organs aren't responding well to a medicine that must be, you know, extraordinarily frustrating. And I think a lot of our students, especially because we have so much ADHD in the schools today and other mental disorders, actually, where, where they're struggling mentally, they get the right medication for that, but then their body doesn't react well to, to the other medication. I think a lot of our students can understand that and relate to that, even if they've never seen schizophrenia, they have no personal relationship with someone that has schizophrenia, they can understand that issue. Yeah. I like that this book brings that to light because I think in society, we are realizing that mental issues are a lot harder to diagnose and treat. You know, if you break a bone, you can see that the bone is healing. You know, but when you are talking about things that are happening in your brain, that's not something that people can necessarily see or that the person experiencing them can describe appropriately or that the doctor can just look at and tell, oh, this is getting better or this is working. So I love that this book brought that to light. Adam is also funny 
mean, he's a really quirky, snarky kid. I would not put this book on my middle school shelf because there are a lot of sexual references and situations in it. And that's kind of something that I do try to stay away from, but I really loved it. I would definitely, if I was a high school librarian, have it and recommend it. Okay, sorry. My um, book is not anything like that. I don't know that the kids are going to get a whole lot of uh, mental health assistance from this book um, because I picked My Sister, the Serial Killer. So <laughs> um, hopefully nobody has any family members um, who are dealing with this issue. But I loved it because it was a very quick read. And I know a lot of our kids are very interested in something that, they, that won't bog them down. It's funny book. The author is Nigerian and um, it was published from her country. So she doesn't deal with any of the issues from that country currently. She just writes the book as it would have been written in any other culture. So I think that is different coming from a book from Nigeria. It's just realistic fiction of a sister trying to deal with what do I do because my sister is a serial killer. Her sister is beautiful and lovely and easy to chat with and she loves to flirt and do her hair and her nails and that is all well and good. She attracts many male interests, whereas the sister, the narrator of the story, extends tends to stay away from other people. She doesn't make friends easily. The only person that she actually confides in is a patient of hers. She's a nurse. And the patient is actually comatose. So she's able to tell him all kinds of things that no one else knows in her life, such as her sister continues to kill her boyfriends. So she is very cute and attractive. And at the beginning, her sister says, well, you know, after three murders, they call you a serial killer. So it has a lot of dark humor. I think the kids would enjoy that um, aspect to it because it never really comes to light as far as like, what is she going to do about the fact that her sister's a serial killer? So like she doesn't ever struggle with like wanting to turn her sister in? Yeah, she's definitely undecided, especially because her sister sets her sights on a guy that she actually likes and she knows this is not going to end well. I think that's where you draw the line, right? Like you can go around killing folks, but that's my man, right? Uh, actually, I was wondering, though, is it set in Nigeria? Yes, definitely. Okay. And she talks about some of the things that are different as far as like getting a car and transportation. But in general, it reads just like any of the other books that are you know, kids are used to reading. Right. So it's not like here's Nigerian culture. It just happens to be set in Nigeria. Is it in Lagos by chance? Yes, or? it is. Okay. So just like you would set uh, any story in New York kind of thing. Yeah. And I read an article where the author is discussing, you know, she's worried that other Nigerian authors or Nigerian people from her country may not like the book because she's not really dealing with their current struggles. And that's a common thing for authors coming out of Nigeria, where the books will be read in many other countries, is that they should be dealing with what's going on in their country. But she also feels like she has to be true to herself, true to her creative voice. And inside, she knew she had this darkly funny story waiting to be told. I think that that's a really 
important way to share culture is to say, you know, in a lot of ways, our cultures are very similar. I don't have to shove it down your throat. This is what's going on. This is what's going on. You know, same way that if I were to set a story in Houston, I'm not going to be talking about like the history of Houston and, you know, our particular struggles that are going on right now. It doesn't have to be about Hurricane Harvey, same thing that, you know, if a story set in New Orleans, we don't have to talk about Katrina or whatever it is that's been a massive issue recently. So I think that that's great because I think it helps students to relate even better, saying, oh, that's just like what we have going on here. I think that's important. Yeah, I agree. I just got back from Africa earlier this year, and I feel like, I, you know, I read as much as I could going there. And I mean, I think telling stories with problems and political stories, there's nothing more I, I love than a political story. But I think Darcy is right that, like, I think sometimes it's a really good idea just to tell a story with people with it set in Africa and it just be a story about people set in Africa. Because I think you can really easily fall into that stereotype of every minute of everybody's life in a country other than our own is, you know, like a horrible, awful thing. Whereas realistically, people in third world countries, while they do have a lot of struggles, they mostly live a life much like our own, you know, with joy and happiness and sadness and, you know, the same life arc that we have. Semi-related to that, I was just discussing with my friend Stephanie that I feel like in young adult literature, when there are gay parents or a gay kid involved, you know, it's no longer the story has to be about that. They're just in the story. And I do appreciate when we can start reading books that you just work people in and that's just who they are and that's just how they are or the setting is just what the setting is it isn't necessarily about a negative thing that's a great segue into the book that i read which is two night owl from dogfish it's about two young girls who are single children only children and their dads fall in love they they meet at a at a conference one of them's an architect and the other one works in construction they fall in love. It's a very fast romance. And they decide that they're going to get their girls together. And the girls have want no part of this whatsoever. They are the apple of their dad's eyes. They don't want to share. They don't want their dads to fall in love. And one of them comes across his plot, which is to get them together through sending them both to, to summer camp. And she emails the other little girl and is like, I have no desire to meet you, basically. And the other girl's like, yeah, I don't want to meet you either. They have nothing in common. One of them is uh, very much an introvert. And she lives in New York. And she has some anxiety. I really love the way that these authors, because it's two authors, by the way. I really love the, the way that these authors write about anxiety, especially for such a young girl, you know, that kind of how she gets caught up in thoughts and can't escape those thoughts and move because she's just kind of trapped in her own head, running things over and over again. And then the other one is very daring, very much an extrovert. She is in the ocean surfing by herself, you know what I mean? Like completely different than the other girl. And they can't really thwart their dad's ideas. So they both end up at summer camp, but they've decided they're not going to be in the same cabin. They're not going to speak when they get there. I think the first 80 pages, it's all written in email form. And I think the first 30, uh, about 80 pages on the subject line, it's, it says regarding, right? And so it's 80 pages of them writing back and forth. 
to regarding you don't know me, right? So it's, it's very cute. And eventually we get some emails from other people. So we have the dads emailing their daughters, kind of warning them about their behavior or the grandmother who's from Texas, she's emailing, you know, one granddaughter and then it's a really, really great story. And um, I also love that they talk about how they came to be. The relationships, one of them was a surrogate. And then the other one was one night when things went a little different than what was anticipated in college. And then here's this child. And it's, I mean, absolutely amazing. I love the diversity in the characters. And, and it feels very natural, like that these girls, the way that they, they're communicating with one another and the direction of the storyline it all feels very natural and i love how the girls come together but in the end it's not quite what any of them had anticipated it's a really great story does it feel like one author is the voice of one of the girls and the other author is the voice of the other girl yeah i i feel like that must be how they wrote it and one of them wrote counting by sevens that's um, Holly Goldberg Sloan, right? She wrote Counting by Sevens. And then Meg Wolitzer, she wrote a book called The Fingertips of Dugman Dorfman. I, I can't remember, Dugman Dorfman, something like that. Anyway, it's actually a fantasy novel, which I was very surprised about <clears throat> because both authors do a fantastic job of writing a very realistic sounding voice for two young women. Okay, so I'm wondering, um, did, how did the authors deal with the, the opposition to the, the fathers getting together? Was it more of a typical teenage angst when a parent wants to get remarried? Or was there a factor in there regarding the, the sexuality of the men in the story? They are both completely comfortable with their dads being gay. That is not an issue whatsoever. They adore their fathers. They are the apple of their father's eyes, and they don't want to share that. Basically, they don't want somebody else in the mix. It's just like, it's like, like a new retelling of Parent Trap, basically, right? So if it reads just as if it had been another woman that was stepping into the place, like, I just don't want somebody else there. We have everything that we need. I don't need whatever it is that you're bringing to the table, you know, and my dad's just fine kind of thing. But both of them completely adore their fathers. There's never like hushed, like, oh my gosh, he's gay, you know, that kind of thing. Like everybody is out and proud and knows exactly who they are and what they love. And the girls just don't want to deal with another child in the house or another adult. Okay, so my book is called Jack of Hearts and Other Parts. This is Shirley speaking. It is uh, by L.C. Rosen, who also goes as Lev Rosen, in case you may have some books by him in your libraries. This is a story about Jack. He's an openly gay high school student who identifies himself as both a queen and a slut. And in the novel, Jack reluctantly agrees to write a sex column for one of his friends. Her name is Jenna. And she has an online blog and she wants to grow her blog. So she's, she's hoping Jack can add some interest to it by writing this column. And since his reputation precedes him in the school, even though they call it Jack of Hearts in the blog, everyone in the school knows that this is their Jack. The story really revolves around the advice column posts and the mystery, which happens because someone is putting notes in Jack's locker. Um, and the, the notes start off being very cute and, you know, loving and then 
then they get a little scary after a while. And so the book is really about bullying, which Jack lives with on a daily basis, being out and proud and very much a queen in his daily living. But also with the increase in bullying that happens once he begins this sex advice column. However, I want to say that this book is about so much more than just that. It has a ton of things to offer to its readers. I really think Lev Rosen was very brave when he wrote this book. I would almost liken it to the Judy Bloom books of my generation. Yes, I'm old. You might remember, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, and how a big explosion happened in the world when she began writing these books that talked openly about things that the world considered to be private and personal, and how much you know, the readers loved her books because they needed somebody to tell them that stuff. And so I kind of think this book is along those lines for this current generation. Jack's sex column questions are very unabashed and they're crazy blunt. I mean, it's almost hard to read them. His answers are even more straightforward. They talk very responsibly about promoting both safe sex and mutual agreement of partners during their courses of, of their intimacies. The answers are factual and without bias or condemnation, whatever the question might have. As a librarian, I really love this book. I'm so glad it's out there for students who may have similar questions. I admit, though, that as a human being, the book was really hard for me to read. Jack repeatedly separates sex from love or even affection. His promiscuous lifestyle is something that is hard for me personally to understand. However, the author did a great job of representing the different lifestyle choices of Jack and his other characters. He dealt with the promiscuousity, did I say that right, <laughs> very well, and made Jack believable and relatable even to somebody like me that finds it hard. Even though I wouldn't make the same choices for myself or my children, I think it's almost a compulsory read for people like me who find it hard to understand the choices people make that are different from our own personal choices. It really grew me a lot. I think the book needs to be on every high school library shelf, and I am going to say high school because it's very, very graphic, because there are so many kids, so many readers who need it. But do be warned, if it falls into conservative hands, you might find yourself challenged. It both advocates and normalizes a lifestyle that is far outside the mainstream for conservative people. That sounds like a very important story to me. And I think as somebody who is often in a culture that's not my own, right? Like when I go to church, I'm the only white person there. Sometimes it's really hard to get a glimpse into someone else's culture or someone else's reality. And I think whenever we give them a book like this, especially, you know, in the gay community, it can be very hard. And especially at a young age, like our high school student, unless you have a friend that's comfortable explaining things to you, it's really hard sometimes to understand a different culture. And here to have a book that is very blunt and very forward and tells you then maybe you can grasp a little bit of what somebody else's ideas or reality is really like. I think that, that that's so very important for our students and especially in high school. I agree. I think we talk about books being mirrors, windows, or doorways, and this one I would really put in the doorway category because it, it yanked me through <laughs> and put me right in the middle of it and made me accept it for 
somebody's norm. I agree. While you were talking about how you wouldn't necessarily make the same choices as Jack, my brain was immediately going to Dr. Rudine Sims Bishop with her, you know, mirrors and doors and windows. And those are things that I like to think about whenever I read books. And those type of books are really important. We talk a lot about it's important to see characters that look like you and act like you in books, but it's also important to pick up those books where that person is nothing like you, because that is also where we as readers develop feelings of empathy and understanding for people who may look different than us or lead different lives than us or would probably make different choices than you. I appreciate that in a book. It also reminded me a little bit, and I'm going back to last podcast, how you talked about Maxie by Jen Mathieu, because the first book that I read by her was The Truth About Alice, which is a bit about gossip and slut shaming. And it seems like it opened a door. And at first I was like, whoa, People don't really talk about this kind of thing, but that was the topic for that book. I also want to add to that. When you said something about people not looking like you, the really interesting thing about gay folks is that they can look just like you and you have absolutely no idea what their reality is. It is completely different or can be completely different or in a lot of ways, exactly the same as yours. So I think it's really great to have a book like this that will let you see those differences and also see that that's somebody that you go to school with. And when you self-identify with something, the power of that, right? Like to claim a word or to say, that's who I am. I think that that shows a lot of power too for each individual. So I'm really excited to read the book. Charlie, thanks for sharing that with us. Sure. I think it's going to be a great book for a lot of our kids. All right, guys, this is Laura Gladney-Lemon, and I'm going to change up the tone of the conversation a little bit, make it a little bit lighter. I read a book called The Cheerleaders, which I really enjoyed. So the story is this. In a small town where cheerleaders are basically the it girls, about five years before, there were a series of tragedies in one school year five cheerleaders died. Two of them died in a wreck, two of them died in a murder, and one of them died in a suicide. All right, so this book is told from the sisters of the girl who committed suicide. Uh, And I did air quotes around committed suicide because pretty early in the book, the sister snooping around her stepdad's office and she finds, interestingly, her sister's text message, her sister's cell phone, and like letters that she's been getting in her stepdad, who is a policeman's desk drawer. And it made her ask a lot of questions about like, whoa, hold on, wait a minute, what's really going on? Because she had always felt that her sister would not commit suicide. Like that was not an accurate description of what happened to her. Well, so all this leads the ball, I mean, lets the ball start rolling to her investigating all of the cheerleaders' deaths. I thought it was a really good book. I I read to the end and I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I'm not like totally shocked by what happened, but at the same time, I definitely could have seen any number of other endings. But it wasn't a light book. I mean, it wasn't just all fun. It starts off with an abortion. That's basically like where 
the book starts. And I actually about halfway through was like super annoyed. I'm like, why is there an abortion in this book? Like, why was that even necessary? It does get tied back in and it does make sense. But for a while I was like, what does this have to do with anything? And it has some other like pretty serious topics in it, like uh, relations between teachers and students and, you know, murder and rape, you know? So it's not like an airy book, but I feel like it very much read like a true crime book. And so in that way, it felt, it, I mean, it's not a political book in any way. Well, I just want to thank you for lightening the mood there. Oh, well, it's not a, a political book in any way is what I'm trying to say. And so, yeah, I mean, but it wasn't all depressing either. I mean, there were some heavy topics in it. No, it's okay. My um, humor book is about a serial killer. So, you know, we really lightened it up this whole episode. Right. <laughs> So I actually read The Cheerleaders very recently. I gave it four out of five stars on Goodreads, and I liked it. I pulled up my review on Goodreads as soon as you said you were going to talk about it, and at the end, I did mention that the mature content, including language, drug use, abortion, and statutory rape, would keep it off of my middle school library shelf. And then I did put in there that the ending gave me a few extra things to think about. Honestly, right now, I don't really remember exactly how it ended, but now I want to go back and remind myself, even though I just read it a couple months ago. I hate to say that it was a fun read because it does drag in a lot of really serious topics, but I even put that in my review that it was a fun read, even though it brought in a lot of really heavy stuff. Right. So when I said I was changing the tone, I meant that I wasn't going to be talking about really political books. I was changing it to something that, you know, was like a crime. It was a fun read. There was a lot of heavy topics. So, I mean, it's definitely a high school book, but, you know, a, a good crime story is interesting. So when I want to laugh, I'm going to grab that one. Okay. Actually, yeah. I really can't laugh. wait to read it. I can't, I really want, I do want to read that one. I like whenever the ending isn't quite what you anticipated. And I got that from my book too. I think my book's the only one that's like junior high, cool, right? Out of all these? Yeah, as a middle school librarian, I really wanted to find a middle school book to talk about. But honestly, I haven't read any super fabulous ones or any of them that I have a really strong opinion on that I either really liked or really disliked recently. So I had to go with a high school book this time. Sorry. I think most of us have read Long Way Down by now. That's a book that's really good for everybody. And it has an ending which surprises you. Although I wouldn't change the ending for the world, my kids are very frustrated by it. Since our last podcast, I listened to Tyler Johnson Was Here. I loved it. I loved the voice of the narrator in the audiobook. It was a really good story. So also thank you because I have been building my never ending to read list from the things that we talk about in this podcast. Okay, so I have a question about what you thought about it compared to The Hate You Give or Dear Martin. Does it seem like a more visceral book to you, like a more legitimately upset book than those two? Like it was, it was maybe written more as a mirror. But. Well, I don't see the book as a mirror because it doesn't necessarily mirror my life. So for me, it was a little more like insight into someone else. I did appreciate the twin aspect of it because these two brothers shared a bond unlike anybody else. I mean, they've literally known each other their entire lives, even though they're fictional characters. I talk about fictional characters like they're real. I don't necessarily think I would compare it to the two, even though it does 
touch on some of the same subject matter. It was just a really good book that I enjoyed, even though it was about something very, very serious. And I liked how different the brothers were. So I think that we ought to talk about our website and our Goodreads list that Aaron Logan put together because it's a great way to find all the books that we've talked about. I have visited it, the Goodreads list and the website, which I think are both very well done. And I'm excited for us to add all of the book on the Goodreads list because I swear, as soon as we're done talking, I'm like, wait, what was that title? So it's great to go there and find them all in one spot. Okay, so if you're interested in learning more about the episodes that we have put on or um, about our team, you can go to our Weebly. It's unshushedlibrarians.weebly.com. We have all of our episodes there in our book list, which Erin Logan does a great job putting them in Goodreads for us. So if you're wondering what the books are, you just want to learn more about us, we'd love for you to stop by our website.